to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This lady, she said she just sat with her while she died, I guess, and just comforted her, which was so brave because at that time he was stalking around looking for other people, but she stayed with mum. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. I pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. The Port Arthur Massacre. It's common knowledge in the minds of Australians, but it's not often we hear the story of a family who lived through this firsthand. Sue's mother was shot and killed during the massacre and her whole family feels the effects of it even today. Sue, welcome to The Deep. Hello. You generously reached out to us. Um, This story is one that I've been fascinated about for decades and so I'm really uh, thankful that you've given us your time today. I know this has been, for you, I guess, a long time coming that you've wanted to share your story. So I really deeply appreciate that. No worries. Tell me where you were. Was it the 28th of April, 96? It was, yes. Where were you that day? The fellow I was seeing at that time, we'd been out for the day with friends and we were out of range anyway um, of the mobile back then. You know, the coverage wasn't great. So we, we'd we been out all day and we were coming home. We had his son with us and my daughter, who was five at the time, in the car. And when we got back to Adelaide, obviously, we came back in range and his mobile started to beep. So. I looked at the phone and I had a zillion missed calls from my sister and I thought, what the hell, what's going on? So um, quickly rang her and she said um, that our dad had rung and that there was a shooting at Port Arthur in Tasmania and my mum was over there at the time and dad had checked her itinerary and she was there at Port Arthur on that day. 
So uh, straight away, oh, my God, you know. Um, so she said, can you get round here? I said, yes. Um, so I said, we'll just, I'll just drop Lauren at home. That's my daughter. Just drop her at home and then I'll come straight down. So we got back to his place. I got my stuff, got the, my daughter in the car. We drove um, back to my house and I thought I'll drop my daughter off at home because I had a girlfriend living with me at that time, sharing. So I explained what was going on. I said, I'll just leave her here. Can you give a tea and whatever? I don't know how long I'll be. So that was about dinner time. So went to my sister's. Um, I just remember us all sitting in the lounge room. There was me, my sister, my brother-in-law. My sister had the old-fashioned phone on the floor and she was just dialing this hotline number dialing the number, beep, 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 engaged, dialing the number, beep, 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 trying to get through because obviously so many people were trying to call at that time. So that went on for, it seemed, hours <laughs> that we were just trying to get through to this number with no success. In the meantime, we had the TV going and, of course, it was all over the television. Uh, we were looking, can we see mum anywhere? Um I should explain, mum was over there with her friend, a lady from South Africa who she knew, we, we were from England. Um, she knew her in England and she used to come over to Australia from time to time and her and mum would go off on a little holiday together. So this time it just happened to be Tasmania. Um, so anyway, it, it went on and on and on and we couldn't get through and we're thinking, oh, my God, why... Why hasn't she contacted? What's going on over there? Anyway, finally, we thought, let's ring a hospital. We'll ring the Hobart Hospital and see if they know anything, if they've got any names or whatever. So we did get through to the hospital and um, they had my mum's friend had been admitted. Okay. And so we knew that they'd been caught up in it, you know, so but she'd been discharged Okay. So we thought, why hasn't she contacted us? Why wouldn't she ring us, you know, and let us know what's going on? But, you know, we thought it must be chaos over there with such a big event. Um, there's probably people all over the place. They've probably corralled people in an area. Maybe they can't get to phones. You know, we just kept thinking and making excuses for why we hadn't had any news, you know. And we thought, well, surely we would know if something had happened by now to her so anyhow um eventually we did get through to the hotline and it was getting fairly late by then it probably would have been about eight at night and it, the event happened I believe mid-afternoon about two in the afternoon so this is many many hours after the fact so we um got through finally to the hotline and we gave mum's name and said, you know, we we know what's happened and is she on any list, is she injured, is she, you know, whatever. And they went left and then they came back and they said, well, we haven't got her name down. She, well, they said, what state are you from? We said South Australia. She said, well, there's only one person from South Australia and that's not your mum's name. So we thought, great. Fabulous. She's okay. Obviously, she can't get to a phone, otherwise she would have called us. So it was like this, oh, my goodness, thank goodness, you know. Meantime, my dad, 
my younger sister was with my dad at their place. So we rang them and said, look, she's not on the list. She must be okay. She must be somewhere. So my younger sister went home. Dad was on his own. I thought, well, I'd better go home because my daughter was home. So I went back home. My daughter was in bed by then. Um, got my jammies on, got my dressing gown on and um, just sat. I thought, I can't go to bed. How can I go to bed before we know what's going on? So I just sat there and sat there. And at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> My phone rang and it was my brother calling from Perth and he had got the news um, that mum had been killed um, and they'd made a mistake. They hadn't put her on the South Australian list. She was on another list. It was all, it must have been so chaotic there. Um, anyway, so um, we, uh, I, I just thought, right, okay. So poor dad's on his own up there. He'd obviously had a phone call at the same time to say that she'd been killed. And um, so I just threw some clothes on. Uh, I went in to see my girlfriend. She was asleep. I woke her up and I told her um, what had happened. And um, she went and hopped in bed with my daughter. And uh, I got dressed, got in my car and started driving up to my dad's. And all the way up there I was just thinking, this this will probably kill dad. Like my dad, mum and dad were so close and my dad is not a social person. My mum was the social organiser. She organised everything. Um, she was, um, yeah, I, I just couldn't imagine how dad could go on. You know, he couldn't cook for a start. He was the worst cook in the entire world. I thought, how's he going to manage, you know, with mum gone? Anyway, so I drove up to dad's. That's about a probably 40-minute drive. And my sister and her husband were already there and my other sister, my younger sister. And we just sat because by this stage it was about quarter to three in the morning. And we all just sat there looking at each other and it was the slowest hours of time that I've ever known. It's just the clock, tick, 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 just sitting there. Didn't know what to say, you know, you just couldn't believe it, you know, all in shock. Um, so basically that was the first, that was the first day. <laughs> Why was it your brother that was contacted when you had rung and left your details and things like that. How did that happen? And once you'd received the news, did you hear from the friend? Uh, no, we didn't. I think that she would have been, she was injured as well. She um, had a bullet burn at the side of her mouth, so very close to being killed herself. I just think she was just so shocked. She didn't know how to tell us. Um, she left it to the police, I guess, to ring. Um, why they called my brother, I don't know. The boy, <laughs> mm. male of the family, and my dad, they both got the calls. We didn't, so they left it up to them to let us know. Can we explain where exactly this spot was what was the tourist attraction? What was it that all these people were congregating at on this day? 
Port Arthur is a convict settlement, so um, it's uh, where people were brought out um, that had uh, maybe stolen something or uh, convicts in the early days of Australia. So it's a, a penal colony, and um, uh, so that it's it's just somewhere people go to to look around at the old buildings and. Uh, yeah, it's it's quite actually a, a quite a nice area. I had been there previously myself. Um, yeah, so they were there, uh, mum and her friend. They were just doing a bit of a tour around Tasmania, um, and they were were there that day. Mm. And awfully, they were nearly leaving. <laughs> they the bus was warming up to leave, and mum um, had dashed to the toilets and she was coming back from the loo when she was shot. Wow. Yeah, so so very almost, very nearly had left, you know, another few minutes and they would have been gone. This, this all took place in a building, is that correct? No, um, no. The, it, it was a very spread out event before he'd arrived um at the Port Arthur site he'd already murdered a couple of people I believe um he then went to Port Arthur and just opened fire in there was a cafe there um it was called the Broad Arrow Cafe he went into there and started uh shooting he had uh semi-automatic weapons so he just sprayed um bullets everywhere a lot of people were shot in the cafe Mum was outside. She was coming from the toilets back to the coaches. Um, and he then proceeded to leave there. Oh, he he killed people on the way out. That was when there was a, a lady and her two little girls were killed. He shot them. And then he um, he left Port Arthur and he was just, shooting people driving past in their cars, like just standing at the side of the road, uh, firing off shots. Um, He then went to another place where he knew the people and set fire. He killed them and set fire to the house. So it was was a massive thing. It went on for a lot of the day. Right. I wonder why I thought, I think I've seen a map and I assumed it was in a building. I don't know if you've seen that map that he drew of how he went around um and I assumed that was in a building for some reason um so thank you for clarifying that yeah the cafe was a a big site you know there were a lot of people killed actually in the cafe but then he moved outside and he was actually also apparently getting on the buses and trying to shoot people on the buses and they were hiding behind under seats and yeah, it would have been terrifying. Terrifying. Mm. So 35 people were killed, 23 were injured. Yes. And this long-haired, blonde man in his early 30s that giggles and smirks when he's discussing this event is put a away behind Mm -hmm. bars and lives are impacted forever what happens what happens with the days that follow this 
tragedy with your family unit? Okay, so the next morning um, my sister um, got on the phone and booked flights for her and my father to go to Hobart. My brother, in the meantime, had booked a flight from Perth to go to Hobart. So the three of them went over to identify mum. Um, my younger sister and I, I have my daughter, um, so I, I couldn't leave. And uh, we stayed back at the, at the house. And, um, yeah, they went over to Hobart. So that, that was the first day. Um, that whole week was a bit of a blur, really, because no matter where you went, you couldn't escape escape it it was all over the news the tv the radio you'd walk into a shop and it'd be on the news on the radio um the newspapers the billboards outside the shop she just couldn't get away from from it so I tried to avoid watching any any television at all and listening to any radio just to I couldn't take it all in it was too much is it historically the biggest mass murder we've encountered in the country? Yes, it definitely was, yeah. Yeah, so um, after a couple of days, my um, sister, brother and father came back. Uh, Mum's body was being transported back to Adelaide for her funeral, Um, so there was nothing else they could do in Hobart, so they came back home. We then had to organise the funeral. Um, I must say, during all of this, um, everyone was so kind. Like, we were, our families were flown all over the place for free, um, put in business class, and um, my brother's uh, partner and four children were flown across from Perth. Um, uh, the trips to Hobart and back were, were paid for and also my mum's funeral. They wouldn't wow. take any money wow. for it. So everyone was just so amazing. You know, they, it was really lovely how good people were to us. Can I ask something that's it's – a, it's, a, it's a strange question, but I'm sure that you had wondered it and maybe you found out the answers. We can talk about her friend as well, but – did you know, was she attacked from behind, in front? Did she know it was going to happen? Um, was it instant? Like, did you get any clarity? Yeah, we did eventually find out what happened. I was hoping that it was quick for her and that she didn't really know what had happened, but she was uh, shot in the chest and she didn't die straight away. We didn't know this until um, much later. Um, One of my sisters went to Tasmania and went down to Port Arthur and there was a lady there. My sister took some flowers because they did have a gigantic cross down there but that's gone now. Um, My sister took a bouquet of flowers to put down for mum and there was a lady there that came up to her at the time and said, oh, who are you putting flowers for? And she said um, her mum mum's name Wynne and she said oh she said I was at Port Arthur that day and she said and I sat with your mum after she was shot 
Um, she, uh, she mum wore glasses and she didn't have very good vision without them and she fell, obviously. When she was shot, she fell down and her glasses came off and this lady jumped, came out to, to help her and she wanted her glasses but they were broken and she said she just sat with her and while well, she died, I guess, and just comforted her, which was so brave because at that time he was stalking around looking for other people, but she stayed with mum. So, and she wrote us a really lovely letter talking about that sometime later. So it was not lovely that someone was with her, but I hated to think that she knew what had happened to her. I'm so, so, so sorry. Yeah, I, I'm thinking that um, the I know that the people at the site thought there was some sort of reenact, reenactment going on. You know, they didn't realise what was happening at first. They heard the shots but thought it was obviously some sort of play or or something. And then they, by the time they realised, um, so I think Mum probably had heard something was going on and then started to panic and started to run for the coach but unfortunately yeah she didn't didn't get there so um yeah so mum's um body came back and the funeral I think I'm pretty sure that mum's funeral was the first one um out of all the 35 people they got her body back quickly uh the funeral was on the 4th of May uh which was a Saturday and uh it, it was at Centennial Park, which is a big cemetery here, and we had a big room. There were so many people there. It was like we were still in a daze because, you know, with the shock and everything, we just didn't we could barely function. It was terrible. Um, but I think I remember my sister commenting that mum would have loved it because there were so many dignitaries there. We had because I work for a local government and so the mayor was there from yeah. my council and councillors. We had a representative from the government, you know, so there were a lot of dignitaries there plus so many friends and family that came. So the funeral uh, happened um, and the flowers, oh, my God, when we left that uh, Centennial Park all of our cars were up to the roof with flowers. There were so many massive great bouquets. My father worked for the ABC and they sent this huge uh, bouquet of flowers and government officials sent flowers and, oh, God, we had so many. We didn't know what to do with them. Everyone's house was just full of these mm. <laughs> flowers. We couldn't get rid of them. Mm. So um, it was a relief to get the funeral over um, because that piece in between, it was like a limbo land, you know. And this, the weird thing is too that you have all these people, like all fam the family, my, sis my sister's families, my um, brother's family from Perth, and we were all in this big mob having to be fed every meal, you know, like and just all going from house to house and just trying to plan food for people. It was just, 
you just can't function properly and you're trying to think right what's for lunch what's for dinner who cares but you still have to eat yeah and there's lots of kids and there's oh yeah it was so hard and this kid won't eat that and you know we're I can remember one of the days trying to find chicken nuggets for these children and I just couldn't even get my head around where would I buy chicken nuggets I'm in and out of shops Actually, I remember that was the day after Mum's funeral because every shop had the newspaper and we were on the front page, like at the funeral was on the front page. And I'm trying not to look at that. I'm trying to rush in and look for these blasted chicken nuggets. And suddenly I thought, why don't we just go to a chip shop? Of course. (laughs) It was so easy. But, you know, you're just not thinking straight. Was that the first stage of grief for you? Was that the shock and then Mm. do you move into reality? Does it sink in? The shock took a very long time. Um, It was several weeks, I would say, that really, you know, we weren't quite there. Dad was probably the best one of all of us. He was so worried about everybody because we were all driving around and really we weren't, didn't even have a clue what we were doing. You're just not functioning properly on any level. And so it was um, a really, really stressful, awful time. Um, and what also was difficult, um, we found, because our family emigrated from England, um, we we don't have any immediate family here, so it was just us. You know how normally something like this happens, you've got your aunties, your uncles, your cousins, people to help you get through it. We just had us and all of us were useless. We were just in such shock that we couldn't, you know, we're lucky to be able to tie your shoelaces. You know, we, we were just hopeless and We had good friends who I remember being at my sister's one of the nights and there was a knock on the door and one of her neighbours brought in this massive big casserole that we could have for tea and just left it there with us. People were just lovely, you know. There's your dad and then there's, is it four siblings? Yes, yes, there were at that time. My brother's since passed away but, um, yeah, I'm the eldest of us and my brother was two years younger then five years younger than me as another sister and then 13 years younger to another sister. You're all in different parts of the country some of you are together who is the one that it lands for first and do you take turns supporting the other or does it hit collectively? We all dealt with it in our own ways. Um, we were all very damaged, but um, one of my sisters became quite, um, which she, she still is, quite an activist in many ways, and she um, got right onto the gun control thing. So she was going to marches and you know once all that happened with John Howard with the with the guns she jumped on that um yeah I mean I thought that was fabulous the way he dealt with that and that's one reason I wanted to do this today because I I don't want um our gun control laws our gun laws to change. Can we talk about that because it was this 
Port Arthur massacre that really was the turning point for our gun control laws. Could you explain where they were and then what happened also with the support of your sister's activism that put in different legislation? Yes. Um, Well, John Howard uh, was Prime Minister at the time and he he got straight onto it and they had a big uh, amnesty on guns and it became illegal to have high-powered weapons um, and everyone that had guns that were semi-automatic had to hand them in. Um, it was illegal to keep them. So a lot of people didn't like that, particularly farmers, etc. But um, when you saw the mountain of guns that were handed in, it was quite incredible. And um, in my way of thinking, no, nobody should be able to have a gun that can act like a, um, a machine gun, literally, you know, and you you can do so much damage. If he had had a rifle or a handgun or something on that day, he wouldn't have killed all those people. He was just spraying bullets, you know. It impacted the future, the security and safety of our country to this day. Is there a reason why you're scared of gun control being manipulated? Is something happened that that those of us that aren't into politics don't know? There has been instances um, where uh, certain parties have tried to um, loosen up the laws a little, um, particularly um, I think Queensland politics. Um, There have been a couple of times there that... uh, They've tried to make it a bit easier for people to own to own guns and to change to tweak the laws a little bit, and that's just the start of it. Then it becomes easier for more laws to be tweaked, and then before you know it, it's a free for all again. So I think you know every time I hear of a mass shooting in um, America, I just think, thank goodness. That's not us now, you know. I am hopeful that the constant, you know, the repetition that we see America constantly in because of their lack of gun control Mm. is a reminder to all of us why we have the laws we have. Like, yeah, it's incredibly insidious over there. It's disgusting but I do feel mm-hmm. like it cements what we're doing right. That's right. Just the fact that we have so few of these sort of events um, since Port Arthur. Um, uh, and even though, you know, it, you can't, once this, this sort of thing has happened to you, you can't escape it because every time something happens elsewhere, it comes back up in the media here, you know, oh, well, we had Port Arthur and, um you're constantly reminded of it not so much now but back in the early days you know it was always the anniversary coming up and there'd be a, a something happening and mm-hmm. uh, you think uh but on the other hand it's good that people get reminded that we did have it an event like that and 
if we can avoid having any more, it would be very good. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Do you remember when you started to feel that element of rage through your grief, like to this person, to this situation? Did how did that play out for you? Okay. Well, I was having a lot of trouble sleeping because I was frightened to sleep. And I used to lay awake at night just thinking, just stupid stuff, you know, thinking, how could I get into that prison? (laughs) How could I, could I disguise myself as somebody and, you know, get in there and, and kill him, you know? You just have all these thoughts and apparently that's very normal to do that. But um yeah it, it's quite the rage is quite destructive though um i find you know it was better once that went but i was angry yeah i was angry and my poor little girl she was angry as well she was angry she was angry with my mum for going away you know did you ever get to talk to your mum's friend Yes, um, I was going to mention that that um, she she came back in that week in between um, the shooting and the funeral. We picked her up at the airport. Um, she didn't talk at all coming home in the car, coming back to mum and dad's. Um, she had this the, the scar along the bullet burn by the side of her mouth, um, which was quite a shock to see and uh, we got home to dad's place and she walked in she just got out the car walked in the front door of the house walked straight through the house and walked straight out the back door and was just stumbling around the garden she was just devastated like it was must have been so hard for her to come back um to to see us you know without mum so she was in a really bad way when she first got back but she was quite a strong woman and over the days between then and the funeral we noticed every day that she got a little bit stronger she talked more you know she she um pulled herself together I guess and by the funeral she was she was okay and I think it was the day or two after the funeral she went back home to South Africa. But we didn't get a chance to talk to her. She was alone from the shooting until you picked her up. That's that's a devastating time to be mm. by yourself, mm. having witnessed death, having almost been killed. That would be terrifying. I don't know whether she may have had counselling there. I would suspect yes because I know that they did get counsellors in pretty early. But um, 
we didn't question her too much because she was just so damaged by it. Um, we just let her sort of heal inside and, um, yeah, she went back home after the funeral. I wrote to her for a while afterwards, but then she stopped writing. I guess she probably want, needed to move on for her own mental health um, away from it. Do you know where she was in relation to your mum on that day in that moment? No, I don't. We, She didn't want to talk about that day and we didn't, wow. we didn't question her. It was too... It was too raw, um, so I don't know where she was. I suspect uh, I, I wouldn't even have a clue, really. She could have been on the bus. She could have been with mum. Um, I don't know. We didn't, and she didn't want to talk about. I did, in one of my letters to her after she was back in Africa, I did write and say, you know, can you tell me anything about that day? But she said, I'd prefer not to talk about it. So I didn't pursue that. Was that hard for you to not have the person that has some answers give you answers? Or do you just respect that it was their trauma as well and they process that as they do? Yes, I think so. I, I, it would have. I think it would have been too painful to hear her talk about it anyway, because she was just so. Just seeing her stumbling around that back garden, she was just absolutely destroyed. Um, and I respected that she she didn't want to go into what happened, so that's okay. I mean, I I know enough. I've read the court transcripts and the interviews and all of that, that was several years later um, and that was enough. I don't really want to want to know any more probably. Did you feel like justice was served? What was his sentence? Um, he will never get out of jail. He got um, 35 life sentences. Um, they'll never let him out, which is, is one thing I'm quite thankful for because um, Murder is murder, and if your family member is murdered by one person, then they might get 20 years. They're going to come out. My mum was murdered, but there were so many people, he won't, he won't see the light of day, which I'm happy about. I, to be honest, would have been more, more happy if he'd have been killed, if they'd have shot him. Yeah. That was my next question. Yeah. His... His existence is a constant reminder and he can still be in the news. Um, every From time to time they do stories about him and that was always really difficult because, um, you know, you'd get your Sunday paper and open it and bam, there it is, you know, there he is, his, his face again. So then you'd have to ring Dad and warn him there's a story on him in the paper and he'd say, okay, I won't get the paper, you know. It just you're faced with it all the time, whereas if he'd have mm. been killed, perhaps that would have been, you know, maybe not the end of it, but he wouldn't have been around so much. Um, that was something I found really hard was um, I remember being in the hairdressers one day and you're flicking through an old magazine, next minute 
bam, there it is. I've opened the page and it's Port Arthur and it's everywhere. And I thought, you know, you just instantly, um, your heart skips a beat and you go cold. Um, and then that particular day I made myself go back and look at the article, but I wish I hadn't because they mentioned mum in it and the lady had that had sat with her and said, you know, it's funny, she said, the old la- the I sat with the old lady and mum had grey hair but she was only 58. She wasn't, and I was just so indignant. She wasn't old. <laughs> she was only 58, you know. But, um, yeah. Did you get a chance to um, speak on behalf of your family or the families at the trial or ever try and write him a letter or make contact or have your peace? We all got the chance to give a victim impact statement. Um, We did that just over the telephone. Uh, I wasn't interested in going to the trial or seeing him or, um, yeah, I've read the transcripts and that's enough for me. I didn't want to see him. I don't want any contact with him. Um, It was... Bad enough, as you said, with him sniggering that the day that he did that in court was my 40th birthday. <laughs> so um, I thought, hey, happy birthday. Thank you very much. You know, he's in there sniggering away. And, uh, yeah, I, I just think he's not worth my my thoughts anymore. I try not to think about him. Do you think that someone like that, now that this is your lived experience, is evil or mentally ill? Um, he definitely, he obviously had his mental issues. Um, to do something like that, you've got to have problems. And from what I can gather, he... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I believe he was an opportunist as far as um, the elderly lady that he was connected with. I don't know in what way, but she left him a lot of money. Um, so he was quite wealthy in actual fact uh, due to this woman. So I believe that he, you know, he... he he had enough nouns to to manage to get money out of her and um yeah but i do believe he he was obviously mentally unwell when he did that he wouldn't do it otherwise because he knew that he was going to get caught can you forgive somebody for that no um I know they say that you should forgive people, but I can't because really he destroyed so many people's lives, you know. Um, Our family was severely damaged, (laughs) like never to be the same again. Uh, My poor father, uh, you know, it just just blew us apart, really. We we were just... um, all so damaged by it. It was awful. Um, still affects all of us in different ways. It um, 
Yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to forgive him. He doesn't deserve that. I'm, I'm actually, I hope he's very miserable <laughs> in jail with his life. Um, yeah. I'm with you with things like that. I understand the enlightened guru has opinions that are different, but I understand that. Can you talk a bit about the devastation on your family? I was going to mention that two weeks after the shooting um, that myself, my sister, my mum's best friend and my daughter went over to Hobart for the, um, or to Port Arthur for the memorial service, um, which was, you know, that was a, a hugely stressful period of time as well. Uh, and that was another thing. They flew us all over there. We were put up in a really nice um, place in Hobart and then we were driven down to the um, Port Arthur site on a coach with all the other people, which was Oof. horrendous because there was a lady sitting in the back of the coach wailing the whole way and it was a couple of hours dry, what seemed like a couple of hours. Uh, my daughter and my mum's best friend got really car sick because it's quite a windy road. Um, Oh my god. It was god. just a, the nightmare of a trip, you know. Um so then we get down there and they took us to a little area first where they had tea and coffee and they had um a few counselors there if you needed to talk to someone before you went down. And I managed to find the husband of the other lady from South Australia and have a little chat to him. Um she was killed in the cafe they were having tea and coffee in the cafe and he came in and opened fire and they ducked behind must have been the counter at the back and he said that his wife he said oh she was always a bit of a um a nosy parker and so she stuck her head up to have a look what was going on and bam straight in the <gasps> shot in the head so she died instantly the stories, the stories of connecting with the others. It's not only the um, people who were killed, the injuries, some of the injuries that you don't hear about so often were just horrific. You know, the people that were shot as they were just driving their car down the road and he shot from the side of the road. Uh, one lady, her arm was just shattered. Um, you know, just horrific injuries that, you don't hear so much about them, but, you know, they've got that the rest of their lives as well. Yeah, it was, um, it was just awful. Um, so that ceremony down there that John Howard was there and um, they had 35 big white crosses and um, one of us had to go, I went because I was the oldest, I suppose, I went and stood across for my mum. So if every family was represented by a person at the cross um, and where the cafe was which is now gone they, they took it down but um, the whole cafe was just surrounded by flowers like everyone had come and, and bought flowers and my daughter five year old she just she was quite confused about everything the whole thing and she just said to me 
is Nana under the flowers? Is she under there? And I said, no, <laughs> no, she's not. Uh, yeah, so she just, yeah, she just, because we were all standing looking at the flowers, she thought, oh, maybe Nana's under there. Yeah. That's a lot for a five-year-old as well. So that was another another fun event. <laughs> Not. Did you make contact or did you have contact with other um, victims' families? Was there kind of a community or a place where you could share? No, there wasn't. Um, perhaps... Um, if it had happened these days with all the social media, that might have been the case. But you know, no one even had mobile phones much, so there was there wasn't that kind of connectiveness back then. So um, no, we didn't. Um, I for a short time um, in Adelaide, there we have a homicide victim support group, and I went along to that for a. A few times. Um, I must say, though, I found that extremely stressful as well because some of the people that were a part of that group, the stories were horrific. And um, I drive away afterwards thinking, oh my God, <laughs> how do these people survive all this? You know, it was. Um, was awful they were they were lovely people and they were very supportive but in the end I thought oh hearing all these stories it's just not doing me much good (laughs) so I stopped going. You said that this had devastating impacts on your family unit what did that look like for you long term? Uh, Well for the first probably six months our um all the siblings moods would rely on my father if my dad was okay we'd all be okay but if my dad was not okay which for a period of time he he went to a very dark place he was not good and we were all in a dark place because we could see him suffering um he eventually went to the doctor and got some antidepressants and managed to pull himself out of where he was. But for a long period of time, um, my brother-in-law, in fact, took him to work with him. Um, he worked for himself um, and he took my dad along to, to help him, just to give him something to do and, and keep him occupied. But he he'd say that that dad would not speak for the entire day. He would just, he'd work, but he wouldn't say anything. He was just so, so down. So, um, yeah, we just all tried to look after each other, really, I guess. And, um, yeah, the best we could. Can a family unit recover from something like this? Well, we did, I guess. You know, you do. Um, life moves on and, um, yeah, but uh, it's always lurking there, you know, and there's always the reminders of it. Um, it's very difficult, um, particularly the first year or two events, you know, like Christmas, birthdays, 
just not something to be looked forward to because, um, as I said, on my 40th birthday, that was in the October of that year, um, we had a family dinner, but it was just really <laughs> because everyone had heard the news and heard that he was in court sniggering away. So the dinner was very morose and um, not really a celebration. And uh, Christmas that first year, I mean, we had to do something. We had the children, uh, my daughter and my sister's two daughters. So we had to have a something. But um, we had uh, something different than normal. Um, normally we would have gone up to mum and dad's. Mum loved Christmas. She put on the full Christmas lunch, you know, the English roast, no matter what the temperature. But uh, that year we thought, right, we'll do something totally different. So we had an outside thing. We had uh, cold salads and, you know, no roast or whatever. A few of my sister's friends came around, so we had visitors and that kind of helped. But there was no, oh, Merry Christmas or anything. It was just like, hello, <laughs> you just walk in the door, hi, here we are, here's your presents, kids. <laughs> it just, yeah, nothing nothing to look forward to for quite some time. Um, and gradually, you know, as the years go by, um, you get used to the idea that and uh, that's the way it is, and you can't. I I did decide way back there that he wasn't going to destroy my life. He might have taken Mum's, but he wasn't going to take mine uh, as well. So I've made every effort to not dwell on it, but mm. um, it's always there, I guess, and you can't escape. Um, yeah. Oh, another thing I was going to mention. Uh, after, yeah, I'm sort of jumping backwards and forwards in time here, but um, so we had the event happen on the 28th of April. The funeral was on the 4th, the 6th of the 4th of May, and the 6th of May, two days after the funeral, was my sister's birthday. That was another um, event that <laughs> she just said, I don't want to do anything for my birthday. Um, obviously so anyway I took her a rose around and said just bought because mum loved roses so I said plant this in your garden and um, because we were still in that phase of all hanging around together because we had nowhere else to go um, my friend uh, my sister's friend was down from Queensland to help us and she decided that Jen should have a birthday cake and um, they put the cake on the table lit the candles and there was this happy birthday to and I thought I can't do this I cannot do this so I just walked out the door and stood out in the road I thought I can't do that I can't do happy birthday I'm sorry it was awful it was very grim um, mm. and then on the 12th only a few days later was Mother's Day so then was another day oh, of gosh. all the bloody chrysanthemums at the side of the road you know it was just one thing after another that you think oh no what's next what do we have to get through next it was just awful you know did you ever think about his parents or what that would have been like I've watched films before on the impact of 
the shooter's family units, you know, that are left behind. Mm. Did you hear about them, know about them, think about them? I did see an interview with with his mother, which made me quite angry actually because she was pretty much saying, oh, I don't believe he did it. (laughs) How can you say that? Because they have... You know, there's plenty of witnesses and uh, he certainly did. Yeah, she was denying everything and she she thought he was innocent and it just didn't make sense to me. I don't know if he had a father figure or whether his father had died, but I know that his mother, um, I'd seen her, but I thought, well, if that's your view, well, (laughs) you know, Mm. that's um, not helpful at all. No. Our final question for you today is who are you when no one's watching? Um, I'm a, quite a quiet person. I like my, my books and my garden. Um, well, I've got lots of good friends and I like to um, – I like music uh, – um yeah I I just like my space um Hmm. yeah yeah that's that's it probably thank you thank you for being with us today on the deep okay no worries thank you I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the deep If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's the Deep. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi everybody, it is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting, it's quirky, it's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.